It is Christmas in the islands, the holidays in the islands on Amateur Hour. This is a fun one. Um, you know, I always have a tired lead, and you know that. And we're glad you're back with us. We're glad you subscribe now. You're one of the three subscribers globally. We appreciate you three. You'll get your Christmas cards, your Hanukkah cards, your Kwanzaa cards from us. But it, it, it turned out that as Danny and I produced this show, I'll put an I in there because Danny usually produces, but we, we got a second guest as we tried to work our way through final exams, try to work our way through athletes going home and respecting sports information directors and not reaching out to athletes on our own because nobody likes to do that. We don't like to, we love our SIDs on this podcast. We love you. So we kind of put a lot down, but we ended up with an Island Boys podcast. That's the best way I know to put it. Caleb Lomavita, um, we've loved for a long, long time. He's at Cal. He was a champion at Jupiter, COVID Jupiter in 2020. He's a catcher. He's a good one. Um, when you look at where he could and should end up, uh, taking a look at the prediction, second round maybe, maybe even higher if he plays his way that way. So our first guest, Caleb Lomavita, uh, a good get by you because there's a lot of culture and character and depth. He's a real deep kid. He is, I think what I love the most, and you don't know this about a person until you talk to them and have a conversation with them, but it's very, very quickly understood that he has to be one of the most thoughtful people we've come across in a long time in the way that he speaks about others. You ask him about himself and he's not deflecting, but his first instinct is to praise those around him. And the mm -hmm. way that he navigates his position on the field, which is the field general, of course, but also just in his relationships he's built with people and realizing how important that is. I, I was taking notes from him, learning a little mm -hmm. bit more about the way in the way in which he spoke about people, I, I think was outstanding. I, I took that away. And I think any major league team would value that at the highest level and what he's been able to do. And, um, I, I really enjoyed that part of our conversation the most. Just honestly learning while I was listening to him. And I think speaking of major league teams and scouting directors, our second guest from Aruba, who plays junior college at Juco Bandit at Northwest Florida State, Kenji Maduro, who has been on the PG landscape since he had the courage to move here right after the pandemic and played some PG events at a uh, baseball academy, TNXL, and then goes JUCO for two years. Um, you, you have a Hawaiian, you have a young man from Aruba who played for the Netherlands 18U national team. He's another one. A lot of you might not have heard of him. And it's a conversation you're going to love to hear because how do you have the guts to do what he did? How do you have the courage to go from Aruba, which I said during the interview, Aruba folks, and this is my own fault, you know, I'm not someone who has a handle on geography, but Aruba is not just a quick boat ride, you know, from the Keys. Aruba is basically North Venezuela. So to have the courage to go to Florida, then to go up into the Florida panhandle um, and then perform, he killed it in the draft league last summer. So he's going to get drafted. It's just a matter of how high. Uh, I loved him. He loves his family. Um, you know, he was willing to do it. He's home for Christmas and he, and he took the time with us. Uh, I'd be curious your takeaways from Kendry. It, it was a it was a high level favorite conversation of mine. He's so shaped by his surroundings and his family, and I think that everything he does is for them and is for the place that he grew up, and the place that is so important to him. Like it feels like his heart 
while you know his family is there and and you know he goes home for christmas when he goes and plays baseball like his heart is always at home his heart is always thinking about home and he's doing it for them and i kind of got choked up listening to him talk about his dad honestly and the the lengths that his dad has gone to be there for him and you know it's not easy right we we see this all the time when we are covering the summer circuit and we get to know the families and and it's mom or it's dad or or sometimes both but usually one parent has to work and and that's here on the mainland in the united states and we're talking about a family and you just described the geography and dad does his very best to be there for everything. I mean, that just hits you and, and reminds you of the, the ultimate choices and sometimes sacrifices that people are making for their dreams to come true. So I, I was motivated listening to him and, and tugged at my heartstrings. Caleb Lomavita, Kendry Maduro, college baseball in the spring, one at Cal, one at a Juco. Northwest Florida State. Both are headed to professional baseball. You're going to meet both of them now. This is my very first time getting a chance to meet and have a conversation with Caleb Lomavita. And I love your name, Caleb, first and foremost. And I'm excited to hear about where you're from and your journey. But your name your name is more than just Caleb Lomavita. I would love if you could for us, tell us all the parts of your name, say them for us, if we could start there. Okay, so my first name is Caleb. Uh, it comes from the Bible. And my middle name is a long one. It's Hawaiian. Uh, my grandma gave it to me. It's Ka'imi Kalei Pumai Ka'i. And you, you can't ask me what it means. I, I'm going to have to ask her. Uh, it's too long for me to know. But um, my grandma did come up with it. I think she had a dream about it. And uh, my last name is Tongan from my dad's side. Okay, so I, I find that so interesting, and um, I think names are important. We, we often tell the athletes we're working with to tell us how to pronounce their names properly. We want to say your name, right? Your parents gave you that name. You mentioned your, your grandmother as well. What does your name mean to you? Let's start with each part. Let's do first name, middle name, and then last name. Um, Caleb is what I go by from day-to-day -day basis. I mean... Everybody knows me by Caleb. Uh, my middle name is a little more deep. Uh, the close ones, they know that name and they they know that side of me. And if if my parents call me by that name, it's either I'm in trouble or <laughs> it means that I've done something good uh, because I've gotten the recognition. Uh, my last name is the name that I play for. Uh, my family, they're huge to me. And um, Loma Vida is, is always going to be on my back. And everyone sees that name while I'm playing. So... I, I try to play for that every day. And D, one more along those lines, if I could. You know, you, you have the opportunity to play on the mainland, which I know is incredible for you and for your family to be over here. The dreams exist much bigger than I'm sure at Cal. But when you, you play for the name, play for the name on the front and, of course, for your family name, what kind of feelings come up when you get to take the field with your last name and your family's background and what you represent, right? Playing college baseball at the D1 level. What what kind of feelings come up when you get to do that? It started back in Hawaii. I mean, we we always put our last names on our jersey and my dad always told me, make them play for the name in the front and make them remember the name on the back. So um, I took that and played with it every day. Um, 
and I started feeling their presence and their comfort and support while I was away every summer. Um, I played in some perfect game tournaments without them. I would, I would, they would send me up by one way ticket. I would come play um, for three months every summer, and you really felt the support. Um, I, I mean, they mean a lot, to, a lot to me. Yeah, I can imagine, and 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 you know, it's interesting that the name on the front is going to change a lot. Like you know, you you, you now have that Cal logo, and you should be proud of it. One of the more unique and historical institutions in the world, really, if you think about it. Um, but, you know, if you're drafted and, you know, the, the name on the front's going to change, moving up the ranks, different teams, uh, the trash pandas and different fun minor league names. But the name on the back is never going to change. Right. So what are some of the standards of that name? What like within the walls of your home, you have two siblings. What are some of the standards of the Loma Vita name? Um, my parents always taught me growing up discipline, respect, um, treat other treat others the way you want to be treated. That was a golden rule growing up. I had two little sisters and setting the path for them was important for me. I know that going out and doing everything on my own, everything, all the eyes were on me from Hawaii and um, especially from my sisters. And they mean a lot to me. I want to see them grow and succeed and to set the path for them. It means it means a lot to me. Carly and Camille? Carly and Camille, yeah. 115 and one. 15 years old and 10 years old. What do they do for fun and, and for, for activities and, and such? They both play volleyball. Uh, they might be a little more athletic than me. Well, you're, yeah. Uh, come on now. You're a catcher, man. You know, I have been raised to bless the catchers. <laughs> so a couple years ago when you came on with Hunter Pence and I on PG College Baseball, you were you were talking about heading into the Cape and, and you know, the fact that I, I loved how you said it, like, I was scared, you said. You, you told us, I was scared. And then I realized I looked around and they were putting their spikes on like me and they were dudes that were nervous just like me. And, and uh, I was there for a reason. So you've played there two years. And in those two years, I see 49 games. I see a 364 on base. Uh, those are the best, best players in the country. And you're catching, too, a majority of the time every day. What has that experience been like? It's one thing to succeed in the pack. It's another to succeed at the Cape. Tell me a little bit about your two years in the Cape and what you've learned. First year was a big learning experience for me, uh, learning about myself, learning about uh, great players and how they work and how they think of the game. Um, I learned a lot from my teammates. Tommy Troy was a big mentor of mine, my freshman going into sophomore summer. Um, I, he kind of took me under his wing. He was a first rounder himself and I kind of followed his footsteps and just kind of picked his mind throughout that summer. I also got to work with Chandler Simpson. He was a second rounder. He was a batting champ back in 2022, I believe. And I got to pick his brain. His The the strongest part about his game was his mental aspect. He taught me that every single time he went up to bat, if he couldn't mentally see himself hitting the baseball, then it wasn't going to happen. And he said he perfected it He every single time he went up to the bat. And... Uh, he knew he was going to get a hit. So I took that from them. Um, it started working for me. The mental game, I've improved tremendously. And I think once I understood that everyone around me was trying to do the same thing and we all worked our butts off to get to the Cape, um, everything else went smoothly. And baseball just became 
a backyard baseball game again to me. I love hearing those names. What what is the brotherhood like? What is the baseball brotherhood like? You know, we're we're familiar we're very familiar with Tommy, but in general, the opportunity to get to work with amateur athletes for me, it's one of the the best jobs, I think, and I try not to tell people how much fun I have because I don't want them to know that I'm not really working, right? I'm I'm having a great time. What's that that baseball brotherhood like for you? The best part about being around baseball players is they're the most humble athletes I've ever met. Baseball is a big humbling game. They understand that at any moment in time, baseball will drive you to the ground. You can be at your lowest point at any moment. So speaking with them, they, they're patient. They are understanding. And you can just bond with them just because of how much failure everyone has gone through in the game. And I think that's where we can connect on another level other than other sports. Um, some have succeeded more than others, but we all have, we all play the game of failure. And it's a beautiful thing when you're playing next to a brother that has failed just as many times as you have. It kind of makes you feel better, right? It validates, okay, wait, we're all failing yes. this together. And I'll start <laughs> yeah. by saying, when you look at your numbers from freshman to sophomore year, you, you doubled a lot of important offensive categories and in, in the right way, right? Your, your power and, and your strikeouts went down by almost half. And, and so you, you did a lot of work to, to really start trending in the right direction. But if you don't mind sharing maybe some of the ways that you were humbled in your freshman year that you, you've been able to transform and use and to catapult you the other direction. Freshman year, I, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, unneeded pressure. I was one of, I think, two freshmen in the starting lineup at Cal at the time. I did come off the gates firing. I, I hit a home run my first game. And I think with that, I started to put a lot of pressure on myself. I set, I set my standards high often. So that wasn't new to me. But I did. I was playing at another level with a bunch of new guys, a whole new coaching staff. So I knew I had to play with something to prove. Um, it wasn't until that summer in the Cape and the beginning of my spring uh, of sophomore year that I realized that I finally just needed to let loose and play the game the way I was playing it back in Hawaii, where I've been playing it since I was four years old. Um, that was, that was a different, that was a difference maker. Um, once I let loose and started to think positive about things, I started doing this thing where I spoke to myself in the third person just to feed myself positive thoughts. Uh, Loma don't strike out. Loma hits home runs. Uh, and it was, it was, it was funny. It was funny at first, uh, but my teammates really just got a kick out of it. Um, and it just, it began to stick. Um, now before I go up to bat, somebody will ask me, Hey, Loma's, Loma's ready to hit. Uh, Loma got it. Loma got it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> But yeah, my my mental my mental approach to the game has completely changed. Um, I fell in love with failure, and I think some of the guys uh, that I'm playing with really need to learn that because if you don't learn that, this this game is just gonna beat you up. Hmm. Great answer. Catching mechanics. How have you evolved there? We had a great talk with Jacob Kosar. I don't know who you know who he is. He's been on this podcast uh, recent episode. We got into the mechanics of it all. I've had a chance to connect with a lot of catchers lately for some reason. It's been fun. 
Um, as I've shared, I, I love them. I, I was a pitcher. My father was a Hall of Fame pitcher. I love you catchers. Uh, but the, the game has changed mechanically a little bit. You know, obviously presenting the pitch is important. Down up is important. Um, choosing when to drop that knee down to give your body a break a little bit. So how have you evolved defensively and how do you make those decisions physically? Yeah, Jacob's a great catcher. I've, I've seen him play. I got to play with Cannon Peebles um, and he also played at NC State. So he told me a lot of great things about Cozart. Um, but catching... Catching really wasn't my main point until I got to Cal. I was a pitcher center fielder at the high school I played at. Um, I did get to catch in the perfect game World Series down in Fort Myers. Um, but, yeah, um, I got here. Chad took me under his wing and taught me the ins and outs of catching the low pitch, uh, how to block a ball properly. Um, and I've learned all the fundamentals and – this year, we're trying to apply it to where I don't really need to think about it. Mm. So my mental approach, catching-wise, is catch like I'm a shortstop. Be as athletic as possible. Control the game. Uh, my my hero is Yachty, so I, I love the way he controls the game and understands um, how to get outs when <laughs> outs are needed, um, how to slow down the pitching staff. So being a shortstop back there is important for me. Man, Yachty, I, I tell you, if, if it were like a presidential election and I talked to all you young catchers, he'd win in a landslide. I was so excited when I talked to TCU catcher Carson Bowen, and he finally mentioned Austin Barnes. He was like, yay, someone besides Yachty got mentioned. I was so excited. But uh, And obviously, Barnesy for his receiving skills. I, and this is just a thought. I want to throw this out there. You're very good at something, and you've done it several times in this conversation. And I almost regretted mentioning Cozart because you're very good at lifting others up around you. You know, you, you, you actually, you answered the question I asked about you and you lifted up Cozart. You lifted up the guys in the Cape. Um, keep doing that. That's, that's a, that's a really good characteristic to have. Cause as you said, um, baseball, we're either staying humble or we're about to be humble. That's exactly how, how baseball works. Exactly. Man. Hey, Hey, hitting too. Um, the one thing, and this is the third time we've interviewed radio. We did some stuff with Hunter. Um, but the leg kick always comes up. Where are we in that process? Kind of a hanging leg kick, drifting forward. Hunter loved it when we talked a year ago, but it still creates that short, kind of compact, powerful swing. Is it still a part of your approach? Just give us an offensive update. Yes, I actually changed my batting stance in the Cape my second year, um, and it worked. I I didn't end up bringing it back to Cal, but I did learn a lot from that swing. and. Um, Two things I've taken from that swing, which was the wide no no leg kick, okay. was how to keep rhythm and that I'm athletic enough to maneuver my body in ways that I didn't know I could before. Um, so the leg kick, the leg kick's going to stay this season. Um, and I believe that it's not a timing mechanism for me. It's more of comfort. Um, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a swagger thing, uh, I think. When I play, I, I kind of need to have that swagger uh, in my arsenal. So it, it it's comfortable for me. It works, and it's, it's here to stay. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I love so many things that you're saying. I think my last question, Caleb, is something you mentioned earlier about maybe between your freshman and sophomore year, bringing your your Hawaiian roots and reminding yourself of how you played. And, and 
I think one of my favorite things about meeting players from Hawaii and athletes from Hawaii is just this spirit and don't mind my doorman, this like <laughs> spirit of what it means to play from Hawaii and bring this almost freedom with you. And I don't know if there's a word for it. Maybe you can help us out here, but it feels to me like it's, it's a common thread between all of the baseball players that I've met from Hawaii that, that say what you've said, is there a word for it? And can you maybe go into a little more detail about what it means to play and come from Hawaii? Um, what that means to you? It's, it's Aloha. It's love. Um, playing for the people you love. It, it gives you strength at the end of the day when you don't want to go to the baseball field, it's what pushes you. And my drive is my family and my love for my family. So everything that goes my way or doesn't go my way is for them. And I think that Aloha really embodies what it means to be a Hawaiian baseball player and to take it from the islands and bring it to California. It it's, it's huge. It's, it's what makes me, me and helps bring others up around me. So at Eva Beach, if, if I'm at home with you, are we going to Zippy's, Locomoco, Country Style <laughs> Kitchen? Which one is your favorite restaurant nearby? Oh, once we, once we get off that plane, we're going straight to Zippy's and then we're going to Eva Beach Park. Yeah, we're going straight to the beach with the zip pack. Tell me about Zippy's, man. I need to get there. Tell me about it. Oh, you, you got to get the Korean chicken um, with white rice and mac salad. Um, if if you go two days in a row, you could get the the chili the chili with cheese and rice. Um, that's that's number two on my list. And the oxtail soup is kind of slept on, but it's it's real good. It's real good. Nice <laughs> on a cold day in Hawaii. It's probably seventy degrees. <laughs> the, uh, oh the, the the folks at Country Style Kitchen want to remind you that they spell country the word country with a K just to be different and to get yep. your attention. And Loco Moco also is Hawaiian food as well. Um, Zippies, I heard there's one in Vegas. I heard a rumor there's one in Vegas. Um, they just guys opened. trip in January. I'm going to bring my buddies, John and Rob. We're going to go to Zippies. I will let you know yes. what we think of it. Oh. Am I invited? No. I better be invited. invited. It's a guy's house. <laughs> no. Caleb, we're going to go on our own. Jesus, man. All right. Hey, by the way. Was that, is that, is that, you said, what was the noise in your background in your New York studios? It was someone buzzing the door. It's, was it your doorman? Do you live in a doorman building? No, not, not my <laughs> doorman. It was a man at the you door. Have a butler? <laughs> yes. Yes, I have a Thank butler. you, Caleb. He's right outside the Thank door. Thank you, waiting. Caleb. Now you know the kind of <laughs> Thank you, high guys. level host you're dealing with. She's got a doorman. So every time we drop one of these episodes, we take just a tiny piece of perfect game college baseball. You can see that show. You can watch it, the streaming show that's co-hosted uh, between Hunter Pence and I. We both co-host the show uh, every week on Perfect Game TV. You can go ahead and download it to your smart TV, download it on your phone. But we have a weekly show devoted to college baseball. And we had Andrew Checkets on. And this recent edition was all about pitching because He's one of the sneakily one of the ultimate developers of pitching in the nation. And he has got a, a team stacked with gifted arms this year. Well, Hunter got into it. He loves the pitching development. I may have jumped in on this one a little bit as well about naming of pitches because uh, I, shocker, am kind of the get off my lawn guy uh, when it comes to the 19 names that people now have for sliders. 
Here's a piece of perfect game, college baseball. No, Andrew, it's it's exciting to hear about all of them and, and you know, just reading even about a lot of them and then hearing it from you. Um, just you have a potential, you know, four first rounders just on this team alone, and they're all in kind of like different waves. And I love that, that you hit like, you know, our guys that are polished, we wanted to save some of their bullets, work on some pitches in the bullpen. And this is where I wanted to dive with you because you've had such success with pitchers. And you mentioned – uh, for me, you know, as a hitter, always battling pitchers, it's like, you know, tall guys have different, you know, and, and short guys have different. If you can get a short guy with spin, to me, that was one of the most tough to hit because it almost looked like it rises. And I just wanted to ask you, like, what is that balance of like, you know, obviously you don't want your, your big arms. You want to save the bullets, but also con constantly growing. Um, how do you really know how to manage and, and create the different shapes with the different tools your pitchers have? Yeah, there's not a you know, an exact answer, you know, it's, there's some feel involved there and some, um, you know, adjusting based on where the guys are at in terms of, you know, the balancing the development and then the mileage on them. I think that's, that's a challenge because, you know, you get guys here because, you know, they, they haven't, most of them haven't turned down millions of dollars. They've got work to do. They've got to get better and improve. And so you've got to, you know, spend that fall in the fall, such a crucial time to be able to develop and add secondary and, try and work on their bodies and, and improve them. Um, you know, it's a tricky balance, but with some of the older guys that, that have gone through a couple of those development cycles and maybe there's less low hanging fruit, it felt like with this particular group that, um, you know, maybe the wear and tear was more important in making sure that they were, they were healthy uh, in the spring. And then, you know, in terms of the pitch design and pitch development, we're really trying to work within what the guys do well. So, um, you know, I think that's the beauty of the analytics and the machines and all the things that we have now is we can get that information a little bit quicker. It's not that, you know, 10 years ago when we had, you know, Tate and Bieber and guys like that, we didn't have the machines. We had to, we had to kind of do it with, with our eyes. Um, and it's not that we, you know, didn't, didn't know as much. Well, I, frankly, we didn't know as much. It's not that we didn't have, we just didn't have all that information to quantify some of that stuff. So, um, having that information allows us just to speed up that learning curve and have the ability to um, know what they do well, know what they don't do well. And you know, I always go back and I go, you know, Dylan Tate, who was here in uh, 15, um, you know, we didn't have track man then people weren't dealing with that kind of stuff. And so we didn't know he had a low, low spin fastball at that point. And we were trying to maybe pitch up with him more than we should have. And he, he should have been a sinker baller and he had to get in a pro ball and figure that out and then develop his sinker and, um, you know, relied on the slider more because the fastball profile, um, maybe was we were confused with what we were trying to do with him. So having the machine, I think helps us now, the machines help us now and gives us the ability to be able to, figure out what they do well and then you know work within that that natural skill set to design pitches that match that and um you know and then add pitches that complement maybe what their fastball does naturally wow there, there's so i have so many questions within this and i haven't even gotten to um man I, most of the heart here but as you say this and like you know the machines are helping you design pitches and and, and apply them to the different body types um, for me though, then you get into the game and it's like, this is where it's like the whole talk of, you know, the new school data versus like play the game and the old school feel. Um, how do you combine the two? So like, all right, we're creating our pitch design now. Does the mechanics and getting the right proper angle of your finger and the spin of the ball or whatever. Yeah, we're going to create that. But now how do we, how do you induce command of those pitches? Is that inherent within mastering the mechanics? 
Yeah, I, I, frankly, we're trying to recruit command. I think that's something that's really difficult at this level to to develop. And when you see that a lot, you see that a lot with guys that come in with big stuff and don't have feel for what they're doing. And it takes them a long time before they can go out and, and pitch in a, a competitive collegiate game. Um, so, you know, our recruiting model is more focused on athletic projectable strike throwers that we feel like we can get bigger, stronger, add velocity, improve their stuff, improve their secondary. Um, that's been the model for us. And maybe there's some people out there that are having more luck taking the raw arm strength that maybe doesn't have, don't, don't throw strikes and getting them better, but we just haven't seen that work over the long term. Maybe we've got a flyer here or there or a conversion guy that was a position player that we, you know, we take a flyer on and, and see if we can, we can get them there. But in general, the, you know, we're trying to recruit command uh, and develop stuff. Um, you know, and in the game, the foundation still, you know, it's still about competitiveness. It's still about attacking hitters. That stuff hasn't changed, uh, you know, in a hundred years and the machines haven't changed that part of it. And it, it, you do have to balance that between, you know, the analytics and guys getting a little too internal with, um, you know, thinking about, you know, their bodies, what their fingers are doing. But um, we try and spend a lot of our time on pitch design and catch play um, when they're working together. And we have some tools that we use there where they're trying to develop their pitches. And then we try to spend a lot of our time on the on the game mound competing and on the practice mound competing. And I get to practice competing. And so a lot of our bullpens are designed to be competitive um, and transition the the pitches that they've been working on, um, you know, into a, simulated game type setting in the bullpen and um, we'll run some consecutive pitch pens where they've got to throw multiple pitches to a certain spot before they can move on it creates some some competitiveness and also some frustration when they have to start over and um so i, I again i still think the foundation for this is you know competitiveness and having the ability to get your guys to go for it um but the you know some of that um you know, development stuff has, has really helped us speed up the learning curve in terms of, you know, how we develop pitches and then take that into, you know, competitive bullpen or competitive game setting. Kendry Maduro, I am super excited to connect with you. I actually had some of your biographical information from last year's junior college event that we streamed on Perfect Game TV. And I appreciated that, the, the questions that you answered. But we saw you at Perfect Game events uh, as a younger player. So for you, when did you make the move? What's, what makes it fun real quick, by the way, Kendry? And thanks for hanging out with Danny and I. Let me start with thanking you for being here. What makes it fun is this kind of, this is, a, this is an Island Boys show. I mean, one is a little bit larger than the other. Caleb Lomavita is on this show. He's from Hawaii. He's a catcher at Cal. You're in Northwest Florida. You're from Aruba. So we we have some culture. We, we were stirring the show up with some great island culture. When did you move from Aruba and start playing baseball in the United States? What age did that happen for you? It was my junior year of high school, and um, it was after COVID year. So I had to wait to um, for the airports to open again so I can go um, travel and go um, go to the U.S., Actually, my first tournament was a um, WWBA in um, in Georgia. The courage that it takes to do that—you had played baseball, or you wouldn't have been making that move—and you went to you went to TNXL Academy. But what pushed you? What nudged you to have yeah. the courage to make that bold choice? And for our for, for our non-geographical majors like me, I mean, Aruba is not right off the coast of Miami, though. That's a different country. 
It's just north of Venezuela. It is literally, yeah. with his arm, he could probably throw it onto Venezuela. So that takes courage. What what led you to do that? Um, the love for the game and the want to be like, be better and move on to the next uh, next level. Who introduced you to the game? I, I think, you know, we, Darren and I, I know have a, a maybe a soft spot for those who come a little bit farther to play the game or are leaving their families and making these massive choices and sometimes sacrifices to play the game. So who introduced you to the sport that you've fallen in love with? Um, my dad, he's, he, um, he took me to like a baseball field and he started with me since I was three. So I was, I was playing baseball, swinging bats, catching balls since I was three years old. Three years old. And, and you've worked now to this point. Is there a moment that you remember with dad growing up that sticks out to you? Something, you know, that you carry with you maybe when you play or maybe a moment that you realized and dad realized, hey, wait a second we could go play baseball in the United States. We could play college baseball in the United States. I mean, it was, it was that COVID year. And because everything was closed, I couldn't practice. And um, he was going with, he was, he took me, he used to take me to batting cages, throw BP for me, hit the ground balls for me. And, um, of course, I was I was like sixteen already, so I hit balls hard. I was I used to hit balls hard already, and he was getting old too. So, um, it was at that moment we were like, yeah, we want to take the next step. And then after the COVID passed, we took the first plane and we took off. Wow. I mean, Darren said it real quick, D. I mean, the the bravery that it takes and and what it means for you and your family to do that, especially after COVID, which was scary, and there were so many unknowns. You shared where you're from in Arua, post Chiquito. Can you paint us a picture really quick? Because I would love to hear a little bit more about where you grew up and what baseball looks like in Aruba. I mean, here the youngest age is five, six. So every, like that's the normal age for um, like kids to start playing, and um, Aruba is a nice place. It's tropical. Like there's not usually so some a lot of like hurricanes and stuff, and um, there's a little bit of rain. Like in these past days, it's been raining a lot, but. Um, besides that, it's it has great. We have a great climate, um, weather, and like every day is a beach day, and the beach is nice. It's really <laughs> nice. You talked about you talked about your dad. His name is Bernardo, um, uh, a career police officer, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so tell me a little bit about your dad's yes. job um, and your relationship. I'd love to know about the two of you and your relationship and and his unique job as well. Oh my. Um, so he's, he's been a police officer since he was 19, if, if, if I'm not wrong. And he, he's like more of a traffic policeman 
than like any department. And um, my relationship with, with him is we're really close. Like he's my best friend and we've been through a lot too. Like baseball wise, he, he was there for me every step of the way. And like he would try, he would like, if I play anywhere in the world, like he'll come see me to play there. That's what I love about him too. And um, like every 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 place that I've played, he was there for me. And he was there like most of the practice. He was there for me to um, practice with me. Like there was there was a time that he had a team and I played with him. And then he, um, I, I moved on. Um, I switched teams so that he can watch me play and pra- um, um, train me. So it's incredible. That's incredible. The dedication he takes time from his job when he has to. Your mom's name is uh, Magtulis. Did I say that correct? Magtulis. Yeah. Magtulis. All right. Good emphasis. Tell me about. Tell me about your mom. Oh, I love my mom. She she's from Venezuela. And so I have family there too. My grandma and my grandfather, and I have more family there, of course, but they're, they, they're currently living there. And I have an uncle from Venezuela too, that he's living in Orlando. But besides that, my mom came here um, when, he, when she married my dad and they had my sister and um, I'm not sure of many, um, how long they've been together, but they've been together for a long time. Are they, do you feel like good examples? And maybe I would guess yes. So maybe the next question would be, what, what do you learn the most from them? Maybe off the field. It sounds like you are all very tight knit. Oh yeah. Um, mostly like, They've taught me like good manners everywhere. Everywhere I go, I have to have um, good manners and treat people good. Like, um, don't be too arrogant, or like, don't just don't be a um, bad human being to anyone. That's. I mean, yeah. Those are those are great standards and great things that parents give us so I, you're you're checking all those boxes by the way you you are being all those things right now but what happens when you step on the field who are you when you step on a baseball field and you put your glove on or you put your batting gloves on and step into the box what happens and what kind of person do you become then um my mindset it just changes and i want to be every time i step on the field i want to be the best one there and I want to help my team, of course, to win. But to help my team, I got to be the best one or I got to do my best job. And um, like now that I'm playing like in the States, away from home, I just think of making my family proud, everybody proud, everybody from here that's supporting me. Um, they mean a lot to me. And every time I play, I think about them too. How'd you choose Northwest Florida State? Um, 
So when I was a senior, I had a, I had a couple of junior college offers, but at that time, Northwest was like top three, top five. And I was like, that's the best place for me. And it's, it's close to Destin too. It's a nice area. Like they have nice beaches too over there. And yeah, I was, I was, I wanted to, um, take that step and I loved it there. I love it. What, what's, uh, I, I, this is a funny thing that I'm sure you didn't know this unless he shared it with you. Um, your coach, Doug Martin, he's, he's, he's kind of, you know, like your parents, he has good no. expectations of you guys. <laughs> he doesn't mess around, does he? So you know how I know this, Kendra? You know how I know this? He was my college <laughs> teammate. I played college baseball with your coach. So we played together. Um, I'm way more loose than he is. Doug, you hear me saying it. Like, you are a disciplinarian, and you get the – but that discipline program and the things he expects, he's a very successful coach. The discipline that he has for you guys, it probably – you would tell me. You can tell me I'm wrong. Oh, yeah. It probably yeah, has made sure. you a better baseball player, yes? <laughs> He's not there yeah. to be your buddy. I mean, that's how you win. That's how you become buddies. So, so, so what went right for you? You're a right-handed hitter. You're a talented middle infielder. If I'm looking at your freshman year for Doug's team at Northwest Florida State, I see that you slugged 538. I see that you had 14 home runs. So as you look back on your year individually, I don't, I'm not asking about the team, but individually, how do you think you improved during your college season last year? Like from like right now? Yeah. What what happened during your college season that helped you improve? Tell me how you improved throughout the season last year. Um, so at first, um, the starting of the season, I I was in the slump. I didn't hit as good, and then maybe two weeks or one week in, I started making some changes in my swing, and then. I start like I focus on my swing a lot. I have a lot of insecurities with my swing, and I have I I want to make it perfect, and I think that's that's like a, that can mess me up sometimes, but I, I keep working on it so I can be consistent, and then then there was one week I just popped off. I was hitting. I hit like seven homer homers in six games. Like every game I was hitting homers and I was trying to stay consistent and it worked it worked like pretty well. That the, the I have one more, Danny. Sorry, I want to jump in here. The the, the follow up then is the draft league. Because when I look at how you played in the MLB draft league, I see different numbers. I see a six hundred slug. I see a 463 on base. Did you feel like you really flowered and bloomed then after you went through what you went through in the season, which ended up being a good year when it was over? But do you really feel like you, you really yeah. blew up confidence-wise? Maybe, as you said, some of those insecurities in your swing went away in the draft league? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, for in the draft league, um, playing with all those draft Asbo kids, all those talents... Um, I was one of the youngest on there, and um, it was it 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 made me feel like really confident with my swing and with my talent and like everything. 
I just noticed that when you said pop off, which I appreciate, I saw Darren's face, Kendry, and I think you might have just taught him something new. He'll probably try to incorporate that somewhere. I can't wait to see where, but I really, I appreciated you saying that. Hey, the other thing I know I love and I like fills my heart is junior college baseball. And, and Darren and I were talking Juco bandits and, and we got to cover the junior college world series a, a long time ago, but it's, I still talk about it as much as I can. I, I cannot get enough of it. And there's yeah. just something different. You guys are built different and you, you play a little bit different. How do you think being a junior college athlete has impacted your game? Um, it's like junior college. It makes everyone come closer together as a family. And once you're a family, like once you play with your brothers, like there's nothing can break you. And um, it makes you like one want to win like everything. Like last year we came up short, but we fought till the last game, till the last out. And being with all my brothers, like all of them, it was it was it felt really good on the field and off the field too. I love that. I love that. And and I do, I just want to go back. My last one is, is I appreciate you talking about your insecurities with your swing or in that part of your game. I think sometimes it's hard and especially to maybe two people you don't know that well to share that and, yeah. and to be descriptive like that. How did you work through the mental part of that when you knew that you wanted to get better, but maybe the confidence wasn't quite there? What did you specifically do to make sure that while you were working through it, you were you were still staying mentally strong. I mean, um, I would like I came too far just to come this far, and mm -hmm. I would I don't want to like let everything go, and I keep thinking about that to like never give up because mm -hmm. like not just myself but my family, my friends they are my coaches, everybody that helped me along the way, they've done like a good part, like a lot for me to be here or where I'm at right now. And um, I just think to myself, like, I'm not gonna give up till I make it. And um, it just helps me. And once it gives me the ones to like be better, like every day and every practice, Every time I feel down, I just remember that, and it helps me a lot. Great answer. Yeah, and you know what's very cool is we're talking here, and you're at home in Aruba. We all have one of these, and we know what's good and bad about them. But to me, I'm guessing on one of these for you, your smartphone, I'm guessing you hear from a lot of people that are pulling from you, not just your dad. You talked about the coaches. You left friends behind, I'm sure. You're representing Aruba. You, you know, you're representing Aruba. And so I'm guessing you hear from a lot of people where you never feel alone. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. Expound upon that. Who checks in? Your buddies, your coaches? Expound upon that. I mean, right now I have a roommate. Um, my He's like my best friend. I've been with him since I was five, six. And he's from Aruba too, so... We grew up together. We played on the same team. We played against each other. We played in the um, national, um, in the World Cup with Netherlands together. So yeah, 
we've played a lot, like a, a lot together. And now he's my roommate too. He's at the, um, Northwest too with me. So I see him every day, I talk to him every day. We were on the field every day together, going to class. And, but besides that, um, I talk a lot with my family, with my brothers. I have two big brothers, one older sister. And um, that's about it, actually. And some friends. So, and my girlfriend. So I'm inviting my I'm inviting myself to your home, and and I and I and 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 I know your mom, your dad will be there. You talk about your siblings, maybe they'll be there. Tell me what we're eating. What are we eating at your home if I'm coming over for a for a Christmas time dinner? What are we eating in the Maduro house for Christmas time? Um, we're eating ayacas. It's a thing. It's a what's the Spanish thing? It's like tamales, but it's not tamales. It's like it's it's Venezuelan. It's like a. It's like um, cornbread, but you fit it in with like chicken, olive, and some things. I I'm not sure, but it's really Sign good. And they 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 make it especially for like Christmas time. Sounds incredible, man. Yeah. That sounds incredible. I, I would imagine that's not what you're having on the van trips when you're riding around for Northwest Florida. So you better you better get it while you can. Oh yeah. Hey, hey, fine my final question, and we appreciate your time. You were on the draft boards last year at 255, which is right around the eighth and ninth round. You had this kind of summer. Um, we don't like to call this show a club, but what ends up happening is all the players we have on this show get drafted. How much are you looking forward to July? You've got to play this season first, and you've got to play well. But do you allow yourself to daydream about having your name called in the draft? And if so, what does it look like? I mean, yes. I I just imagine myself. Like, last year I did imagine myself, and it didn't happen. But, like, this year I'm going to want it more, and I want it to happen more. So um, I just imagine it being with my family here in Aruba. And um, just there with everybody that that helped me get there and that loved me and support me. All right. Well, well, put us in that group of people that support you, man. We care about you. We appreciate your time. Uh, you made Thank our you. podcast, this, this episode, our last one of the year, uh, a true island podcast. So we appreciate it, my friend. No matter how large or small our community is, as we continue to gain metrics on this show, is uh, I appreciate our community because we, uh, as we're through the holiday seasons and then into the new year, we're glad we could drop you one last episode with some extenuating circumstances, not true struggles, let's be clear, not you know unmitigated disaster struggles, but challenges, leaving family behind, making bold choices for baseball uh, and players that are going to fulfill their dreams and be professionals. So you're here, you're here every episode. We understand we're within the community. We definitely know there are a lot of scouts and scouting directors that listen. Don't be afraid to tell a friend, by the way, who's uh, not afraid of great stories. I love the Island Boys, both very different. I'm guessing both have never met one another, and I look forward to someday when the Pirates play the Phillies in a game in August that they do meet one another, that they do shake hands, and they do get a chance to, to connect with one another because both in different ways uh, showed a lot of courage to, to leave their families behind. One from another state, one from another country, 
But um, the Island Boys, it keeps us warm during Christmas. I love this podcast. Yeah, this there's there's always been a soft spot. I think anytime that we see somebody who has to come from thousands of miles away because they're chasing a dream. I mean, what's more inspiring than that, right? They are they are doing something that is really hard and maybe uncomfortable and sometimes without their family right by their side. And I think that it, there's so many lessons that are intertwined into that. And, and they're a little tougher. I do think so. I think Juco kids are tougher. I think that when you're coming from Hawaii and you, you realize that not everything in Hawaii is this beach and sunshine scene. I think that there's a lot more to it and, and we're starting to uncover that a little bit more. And, and sometimes this is the opportunity. This is the chance. This is a chance to get to the mainland and play baseball and create this life that you're looking for. And, and we, we need more of these stories. I'm, I'm very much grateful for both of these guys for taking time with us and wrapping out the end of the year. I think it's a great way to end our year and our podcast season. Please um, share our podcast and Darren will send you something in the mail. If you subscribe and leave a review, subscribe, leave a review. Darren Sutton will send you something in the mail. Bye. I will 100% for sure. Uh, I'm leaving you with this sap alert coming up, sap alert coming up. What I loved about this is that we talked about food. We did it lightly both times with two athletes, restaurants in Hawaii and a home cooked meal in Aruba. I love that. But here's the thing. What I love about this time of year, no matter your faith, no matter how you celebrate, and we trust you're able to celebrate even in a very small scale, that you are able to, to break bread, have a grand meal, have the smallest of meals together, because food is one of those great uniters for all of us, no matter what we're doing, no matter what we believe on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, enjoy a plate of something with someone you love. We raise a glass to all of our listeners. Thankful for you, Danny, for putting this show together, for building it, for founding it, for coming up with the name. And uh, 24, here we come. Peace, everyone. <laughs>